0: by myself trying to be everybody else can you see I gotta be me Welcome to episode 322 of Canada's Pinball Podcast, the only pinball podcast that is set to five balls. All right, it's Friday morning. I've been up since 2 a.m. I'm pretty wired. I've been working like a dog, but I've been dreaming of the time when I can do another pinball podcast for you. What we're going to do is we're going to jump into the news of the pinball world. I'll try to get to some of your emails, and then I'm going to let you go about your weekend. All right, all right. here's where I want to start out, a magic girl is for sale now the reason why we're going to cover this topic is there aren't many magic girls out in the world and when when one goes up for sale it's a pretty rare occurrence because it is a rare game now what makes this magic girl interesting is it's being sold as a prototype magic girl magic girl number zero zero it's only fitting and somewhat ironic that John would label one of his games 0 because zero, that's pretty much what everyone got out of him after all the years they waited for their precious little Magic Girls. Now, it's being sold by Joe, uh, I believe, at Pin Graphics, and he opened it up, he set it up, and of course, whenever you see a Magic Girl, you can't help but be in awe of how beautiful the game is. The artwork by Jeremy Packer, and by Matt Andrews is still, I think, the best visual pinball game we have ever seen. And even when you stand over the play field, you can't help but be in awe at how magical it all looks. And then you flip the game, and the legs fall off, and the experience is probably the worst pinball experience you can ever have. Now, Joe is listing this game as a prototype. He's also listing it uh, that it It's sold as is, it works, flips, and plays. We'll talk about that in a minute. And that's how he ends his listing. But here's the thing, and I hate to burst Joe's bubble. This really isn't a prototype game. John does have two to three prototype games of Magic Girl that he did give to people, but the game that Joe is listing is not a prototype and it's really easy to tell. The prototype Magic Girls have different artwork. They are not the lion saw artwork on the cabinet, okay? The other major differences are the play fields that were made for the prototypes are different than the play fields that are found uh, in the standard games that went out to most of the American pinball people who got their Zidware Magic Girls. And the way you can tell the play fields are different, uh, there's some different artwork, but the main way you can tell is real simple. If there are outlane posts that you can move up and down on the Magic Girl play field, that means you have a prototype. You can also tell uh, because there's that king's chamber, the levitation chamber, you know, where the ball goes up and sort of floats in midair for a little bit. In the prototype or on the prototype play fields, there were two small holes in front of that mechanism, which is where a rail or ramp was supposed to go in order to help the ball get up inside there. And for some weird reason, those holes were removed from the American pinball version of the game, which wouldn't have never made that mechanism work without the rail or the ramp to get up there. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Some of the plastics are different. The plastics on the slingshots and in near the orbits, they're not orange, they're blue or purple on the prototype version of the game. Now, that just goes to show you that John pulled a fast one. And here's what John did. John sold more Magic Girls and promised more Magic Girls to people than he originally intended Uh, He was supposed to make 16 to 20, and what happened was he owed other people games because he made a lot of handshake deals with people, a lot of verbal agreements and contracts over the game, and he would promise people a prototype version of the game. Now, what happened was he apparently promised more prototype versions of Magic Girl than he actually had. And so what happened was when they made the games in American Pinball, he made like 20 games that were the American pinball standard games. And then he had two or three of the prototypes that were actual prototypes. Those went to some people. I don't know who has them all. I know Chris from Cointaker has one of them. I think Bill Brandis might have the other. Uh, but these prototypes that have the lion saw cabinet, they're not actually prototypes. They're just another version of the same game that everyone else got from American pinball. And John just labeled them as prototype. Okay, so you see what I'm saying? He made 20 standard editions. Then then I think he also sent out like five prototypes, two of which are just more of the standard editions. It's crazy to even call the Magic Girl a standard edition. Uh, but look, here's the main thing about the game, and I'm curious to see what this sells for. As you know, I bought mine for 23,000. I sold it for $20,000. I feel lucky to get out of that deal with my shirt still on a little bit. Uh, but we saw one sell recently for maybe 16000 $17,000. i am not sure what the final sale price was. Um, but when you list the game as it plays and flips, I, I do have a little concern that that's a little bit of a disingenuous way to list the game. Everybody knows the story of Magic Girl, who's a collector of pinball. This game only appeals to pinball collectors. And I think Joe should be a little bit more forthright in disclosing the realities of this game, that it doesn't work. It's broken. The code is not finished. None of the mechanisms work. Sell it as the rare piece of art that it is. But I would have a little bit of a disclaimer that if you are interested in this game and new to the hobby and might not know uh, the full story of Magic Girl... All you have to do is go to Canada's Pinball channel on YouTube and you can see all the great videos I made in which I do a walkthrough of why this game is such a disaster to actually own, all right? I think that's that's fair, but we'll see what it goes for. We'll see what it goes for. All right, so let's move on to Stern Pinball. We are in a sort of a holding period right now. The wait begins until the Midwest Gaming Classic in mid-April. We are not going to see anything new from stern pinball until then so we have a good it's it's you know it's coming up fast though right it's like it's so scary how quick march is going right now we are going to be there in like six weeks we will no not six weeks yeah like like in six weeks time we will see we will see Steve Ritchie's game at the Midwest Gaming Classic it's Steve Ritchie's next game it's supposed to be Black Knight 3000 it's coded by Tim Sexton so that is happening at the Midwest Gaming Classic so uh, until then until then There's not much else to do other than list your Munsters Pro for sale because you are now bored of it after owning it for a week, right? That's sort of like the behavior of people in the pinball hobby. Let me buy a game. Let me not know if I love it for sure. And let me list it for sale immediately. Now that's not the case, but there are people, there are people selling their Munsters Pros right away. And I love it because they, Stern sells so many games. And I think sometimes there's a desire to see something go up for sale quickly and immediately run around screaming, the sky is falling, like everyone's bailing on the monsters. That is not the case. But we because they do sell so many games, you will see people, a handful of people, immediately after getting the game listed for sale. Now, one person listed the game for sale yesterday And it is kind of funny to see our friend Greg Bone from Straight Down the Middle, who just reviewed this game and just unboxed it like two weeks ago and gave it a really good score for him to list it for sale immediately. I want to talk a little bit about that because I have a little bit of a like, it's not even like an issue. I know why they have to buy these pins to review them. Uh, there, look, there aren't that many new pins that come out a year. And Greg and Zach, they do a show in which they r- want to review pinball games. So for them to do an unboxing and review the game is fine. It's also, I have no problem with Greg selling the game right away because he's reviewed it. He's played it. But, but if I'm the play devil's advocate a little bit, it does look a little bad. That a game that gets a good review from them is quickly ushered out of the home game room and on to the next. Uh, it's it's a little un- I see, but I'm torn even when I say that because again I don't think they're doing it intentionally in any way. I don't think there's any intentions. To sort of like, you know, pump a game up and then get it out the door. They're not trying to flip it for money. Like that is not happening. They're not doing what Canada used to do with games. Uh, But it just goes to show uh, sometimes I would love to know, did you get bored of the game? I, I, You know what I'm saying? Like you unbox a game, you play it, you've had it for a couple weeks. Now how do you feel? sort of like in the auto world when they do long-term reviews of of the cars what do you feel like now what's funny in pinball is a long-term review of a game because everyone is so addicted to the next game a long-term sentiment on a pinball machine is now like what do you feel a month later a month later do you feel good about your pinball purchase Or is it boring? Is it repetitive? Have you moved on? Are you already dreaming about the next title? Well, don't worry about it because Stern Pinball will get you the next title. You can do the same thing in three months. Every three months, Stern will give you the ability to completely rush after a new shiny box of lights and buy it and then figure out if you really want it after you've already sent Stern your money. I mean, that is the cycle we are in. And I think it shows that there is an addiction in this hobby and by a lot of people in the hobby they just buy the new game, hype it, say it's the best thing ever. And then like a month or two later, it's like it's for sale or they're bored of it or they moved on or even like mentally it might still be, it might still physically be in their game room, but they've mentally moved on from the pin and and are just excited about what's next and what's next and what's next. It's an addiction. It is. It is, uh, and it's gotta be hard too for these guys because now that Zach is a distributor, it's gotta be hard for him. I mean, the conflict is there. It's hard if you're a distributor and you're a pinball reviewer because your livelihood is moving pinball machines, so you do want everyone to buy every new pin. So it's gotta be challenging to give you the honest assessment. Like For example, I saw that they were the first people to unbox the final produ- like production version Of Oktoberfest, and I I watched the whole stream, and I've been on the thread. I've watched people talk about the, you know, the animations in Oktoberfest, and where is the game at? And so, uh, if we're if we're to talk quickly about Oktoberfest, uh, the game it wasn't the final final production version of the game because it's still in the old cabinet, Uh, but I think we're seeing now where the animations are gonna be around launch period of the game. I think we're also seeing the final game itself. Um, I'm not done with my Stern section here, but let me do talk about Oktoberfest, so, and through the lens of straight down the middle. So they unbox it, they review it, but they're gonna be selling Oktoberfest. So if you're going to get a review on Oktoberfest from the same people that also wanna sell you the game, what type of review do you think you're gonna get? It's almost impossible to be fair and objective, and and I, I don't hold it against them. I mean, you're you're naturally gonna be a salesman for something that you're trying to sell. It just makes total sense, right? And so, but what I do like, and maybe what they're gonna do more of is, and I saw this too in their stream. It's not so much of like a review. Is like let's just show people the game. Let's walk them through the features and let's give people a first look at this title and let people make up their mind on whether or not uh, they want to buy it. You know, that's what Jack Danger does. I mean, don't be fooled. Jack Danger does not review games. He does not review games. You do not get how Jack really feels about a game when he's streaming it uh, from like with people or like at the company itself, where you do get how Jack Danger really feels about a game is when you private message him on Facebook and you actually talk about the game with Jack Danger. Now, I'm not gonna air you what he's told me about certain games he's played, but that's the reality, is to keep the streams going and to keep access to these games going and these manufacturers going, they all have to be positive, they have to be nice, they they can't afford, none of these guys can afford to to be blacklisted or to be shunned by a manufacturer because then they won't get access to the games they need to get their streams up. And for Zach, you know, he needs to he needs to sell games. It's his livelihood now. So I totally get it. That is why I can say to you on this podcast that I, I could go come on here and say that Oktoberfest is the biggest, whatever, whatever, whatever. And it doesn't matter to me because nobody, nobody disliking me will ever change the way I do this show. And no one will ever keep me from giving my honest opinion about the game All right. so that being said what did I think of Oktoberfest I mean again I just want to play it it looks fun to shoot I still think the artwork is a crowded mess it just looks like a Where's Waldo book it's like they they gave a creative brief to throw as much artwork to like vomit as much artwork onto the game as they possibly could And and I'm here to tell you they were successful in doing that and completely just like art vomit all over the thing. I think it just lacks a a cohesiveness and it just looks like they put stuff everywhere. You know, even like the hands, there's like hands holding the rule cards on the apron. It's just really weird. Like why, if my hands are on the, on, on the buttons of the machine, why are there more hands inside and inside? It's just, it's just like they did stuff because they could do stuff artistically, but nobody, no real artist stood over that game and was like fucking nailed it like it just it's too much but again that's not about the shot geometry it's just the artwork and then I've seen the animations I've heard all the debates about how piss poor the animations are and this and that I saw Ben Heck was saying this looks like these guys are ice skating he he brought up the video of the arcade game NARC from back in the. Remember Nark, the arcade game from like the '80s, early '90s, when they moved around, and it, it was like they were skating over the road because of the animation frame rate, and that's what it looks like in in Oktoberfest when the when the people are walking around the sort of the carnival. Um, look, the animations are not great. They're, it's weird to me when people defend them, but then this ridiculous debate is going on in terms of yes, it's not good, but Anything on an LCD is better than dots on a, on a DMD. Now, this is really difficult. This is really difficult debate because, yes, you could argue that anything on an LCD is leagues above, right? It's like 20 years of innovation leapfrogging when you go from a DMD to an LCD. But but does that make up for really piss poor uh, animations on an LCD? And I I get it. I hear the debate, but some of the dots that have been done for DMD games are super creative. They're super well thought out. They're perfect the way they they're implemented into the pinball experience. And so, like when I look at the dots on a game like um, Monster Bash remake and Attack from Mars remake, that's per- they're awesome. I think they're kind of perfect in, in what we want. You know, from a pinball experience. Hold on a second, my. Sorry, we've got this 720 alarm that goes off with the Sonos and it plays music. Anyway, so I was saying is the dots, uh, you know, people didn't complain about DMD dots. We did want a display and Jack showed us how cool a display could be. But it's hard for me to be like, yeah, like DMD sucks and like I'd rather have this, even though this is probably the worst way you could implement an LCD in a game. You know, it's it's just like it's like a race to the bottom this debate. I think everyone would like to see these uh, improved, but here's the thing. I'm also going to say this. I'm also, and this this might shock some of you out there. When I watch the stream of Houdini, I far prefer, this is going to be controversial. I far prefer what is actually going on, on the LCD screen on Houdini in terms of its simplicity. I far prefer their approach to that screen than I do for what's going on in Pirates of the Caribbean from Jersey Jack where it's just like I get it's so much nicer looking but Jersey Jack with all of their beauty I think their LCD experience has always been somewhat confusing somewhat crowded and somewhat too complex especially for a pinball game in which you just have fractions of a second to look up and 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 take away from the screen what you need so that's just my take Um, Oktoberfest will be shown at TPF and you'll decide, you will decide whether or not it is, it is the game for you. It has some stiff competition, but when you look at the landscape, actually coming out during TPF and shipping during TPF couldn't be better for these guys because there is nothing else happening around that time period that is brand new for, for, for pinball. So even, you know, the stars have a line for an Oktoberfest game that is going to ship in the spring, summer uh, but they do have a window. They do have a window to be the new game out without any real competition. So we'll see if people uh, gravitate towards it. All right. So Stern's Insider program has begun to ship to customers. And there was an unboxing uh, a video that our friend of the show, Adam, uploaded on Pinside. He, he sent me a text, too. He's like, here it is. It's in the mail. And it's this little, like, white and red box that contains... A T-shirt, a pin, and a patch uh, from Stern Pinball. What's funny about it is they mail a box inside a just an envelope, like a plastic envelope. And so what's funny is it gets crushed and destroyed by the time it reaches consumers, which is great. It's it's not it's nothing like sending out a pinball box that's been damaged, but it's you know nothing inside can break. Uh, look, it is what it is. We've said our piece on this Stern Insider program. I do think it's a cash grab. I think it's it's silly. If you think about it, that's all you're ever gonna get for free from Stern pinball when it comes to this insider program. Uh, you know, what well, well, oh oh wait, oh wait, no wait, you're gonna get podcasts and you're gonna get webinars for free. but but don't be fooled. They're gonna use this as a way to just get you to buy more merchandise that you don't need and t-shirts that you don't really want and that's what they're gonna use the insider program for. Uh, It is just 30 bucks. It's not worth complaining about. I won't be signing up for it even though I should just to leak all the information to you guys immediately but I just think it's a cash grab thing. I think it speaks more to the DNA of Stern than it does to uh, giving value back to the community that the community would like. I think Stern is well aware that social media exists. I think Stern has one of the greatest social media people I've ever seen. Jarrett, by the way, who I don't really do shout outs to. Jarrett is one of the greatest social media people I've ever witnessed do his thing. And I work in marketing with billion dollar companies and I work in you know, with brands that, that really struggle to do the kinds of stuff on social media that Jarrett does. And you know, love him or hate him, I don't know any reason why to hate him. The guy is full of enthusiasm, he's full of passion, and he knows how to build communities online. He knows how to get people excited. And I think Stern does very little to just let Jarrett do what Jarrett does best. And I think they have him on the outside when they should embrace him and what he's so good at. And I think they need to hand over more of the marketing to someone like him to do fun stuff for the community and to give us the kind of access we deserve because we buy these expensive pins from Stern. And I don't think we should have to pay extra for it. I don't think that content should be held exclusively uh, unless we pay money. And I think Stern uh, would just be better off if they would let Jared be more of the social face of the brand, because I think he gets people hyped, I think he gets people excited, and I think he's the right kind of voice for the the pinball community, all right? All right, let me move on to Spooky Pinball. So Alice Cooper's uh, Nightmare Castle, they're finally getting out. Number 24 and 25, and number 50 have been shipped or picked up, which is interesting because there's a gap there. Now I think Spooky is making these in order of loyal customers sort of go first. Uh, so that is good, that they're getting out. It is also funny that Iceman and other people are still trying to sell their spots. So Iceman has his spot for sale for 550 bucks. He did offer an interesting thing. He said, look, I'm going to sell it for 550 bucks. He's going to lose $500, basically, right? So $450, bucks, Spooky Pinball gets to keep that he will never get back. And he said he would donate the difference that he's losing to breast cancer awareness, and he he, ho- he was asking Spooky to do the same. So that would be a total donation of roughly like $900 to breast cancer awareness. Uh, it's something that he cares about on a personal level. It's something that I also care about on a personal level, and I think they should do it. Uh, they, will they do it? Will Spooky Pinball make that donation and do the right thing? And here's the thing. Look, there are... A you Alice Cooper's for sale right now, there's one for 450, one for 550, one for 900 and one for a thousand. So this whole concept of, you know, put your thousand dollar deposit down and you're locked in and you can't get your money back. It's, it really has done nothing. It's done nothing but hurt people. It, it hasn't helped anybody. People have only lost money in this scenario. And here's, here's the thing. If there was really like a, a total, like, diehard demand to get the game and just get on the list these spots that are actually like it's like the game is already selling for less than new and it's not even made really yet it's just indicative that I, i it just didn't work out in the end but again there's 500 being made and four being sold do not indicate the sky is falling all right highway pinball real quick now is the time to sell your alien pinball if you want to cash out on this game. One just sold for like $17,000 for an LE. Another one sold for like fourteen dollars or $15,000 for a standard edition. Why people are throwing money at this game it is beyond me, but if you really want to have a rare Alien game, God bless you if you're going to spend two to three times what the game was originally worth. Uh, I am hearing that Fox is looking for a new manufacturer to make an Alien pinball machine because they are not happy with the way things went down. All right, speaking of failed companies, there was a weird legal notice that went out around Kevin Kulik and, and, and um, Skip B. It was it was like Tim Fife who sold his game, it sounded like in the document he was opening, he wanted to reopen the bankruptcy hearings around Kevin Kulik, which I, I think that's what it like said. It was kind of confusing. I'm not, I'm not a lawyer. It's always weird to me that legal speak is always really hard to understand. You'd think it would be really simple to understand a legal document, but it's usually like inside baseball. But wouldn't that be strange that Tim Fife, who got one of Kevin's only games, who then sells it, is now on the charge and the witch hunt to go after Kevin Kulik? Like, is he trying to repair some of his, uh, I don't know, some of the damage that came from him owning this sordid machine, right? It's sort of, there's no real reason why you uh, it, it would make anyone feel good to own a Predator. And that is why I think it's Doc over there in Chicago, Illinois, who's got the museum where he's got it on location. People are just like, man, don't promote that you have this fucking game. This game brings nothing but pain and agony to everyone who sees it, and we don't give a shit that you want to let people into your place to go play it. I get it's a novelty, uh, and Magic Girl is very much the same way. I mean, Magic Girl wasn't as bad because, uh, you know, Magic Girls all went out, and when they did go out, it wasn't like Magic Girls, you know, everyone who... Everyone was made whole on a Magic Girl order. It was the Raza people that looked at Magic Girl and were like, fuck this. Like, my money went to building these machines, and I understood that. But with Predator, everyone lost. Everybody lost. And, and it was it was a fiasco. It's crazy that it was only, I think, $4,500 was the deposit on Predator. All right. Let's move on quickly to Jersey Jack Pinball. And then I want to read an email. Then Brenda's got to take the computer. So I have to hit stop on this and just upload it. Or you get nothing today. How's that for a bargain? All right. So Pirates of the Caribbean. How Have we talked about this game enough lately? I have to say, I have to say, in a weird twist of fate, after I've been emailed and inundated from Pirates of the Caribbean owners telling me how great the game is, how amazing it is, after we had Derek on the show, who loves the game. I did laugh a lot. And I'm sorry, Derek. It is just kind of funny that I've been saying for a few months now that the Pirates of the Caribbean thread is more of a troubleshooting thread than it is a thread about how great the game is and what happened yesterday. Derek's game went down. He's got an issue. His treasure chest isn't working right. The fork on the back of the game or the back of the treasure chest is just spitting balls out when it shouldn't. And the coil is getting really hot to the point where Derek is afraid it could light his game on fire. I'm not I'm not even making this up. <laughs> this is like really happening and he's trying to tr- troubleshoot it. And it sucks, and it sucks. And I know Derek is new to the hobby and this is the problem with these games. If quality control is not there, there is nothing fun about opening up a game and having something go wrong on the game. And, I, and I've seen it. I've seen it time and time again. It's It almost feels like every single Pirates of the Caribbean, and this is not me making this up, every single Pirates of the Caribbean that has gone out does require, for the most part, every owner to make some adjustments from the factory to get the game working right. And I think that's Total horseshit. And when I say adjustments, I don't mean just, you know, level it and, and put the legs on right. And, and, and like normal pinball adjustments. No, no, no. You actually have to like, like troubleshoot a lot of the factory mistakes they made in terms of the wires are too tight. The harnesses are pulling, you know, the, the, the mechanisms here, like have a, have a problem, like the subway like ramp needs to be fixed, like all these things all these things and it's again this is not Canada saying like stay away from the game because I'm just like prejudiced no this game is a quality control nightmare it really is it really is anyway the other thing I want to say and I'm not going to say it again I get it now I get how the game works I get the stacking of the multi balls I've seen so many videos on it I think you know I think for you guys who love it cool it's just not my cup of tea it's not my kind of game and I've had many people email me say, you know, I feel the same way. But, you know, they don't, they don't want to go on and say it in the, in the thread. And they're almost like being respectful. Like you own your game, you bought your game, you enjoy your game. But to me, when I look at Pirates of the Caribbean, I, I just see no theme integration whatsoever. And, and to me, that's really important in pinball. And in my like three or four plus years of following this hobby, I've never seen a game that has required so many people to try and convince me why it's great. I mean, that's just my ultimate takeaway in this entire game. If it was so great, why does it require so much convincing to win people over? And it's not just me. I, I there, there are so many people that are just not sold on this game. And that is why the game didn't sell the way they were expecting it to sell. It wasn't just the delay. It wasn't just the delay. When the game was available, when people knew it was on the line and people played it, there wasn't that rush that this 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 doesn't feel like this is what I want to spend nine to ten thousand dollars on for most people. It's just not there, and I think you're going to see it when Willy Wonka comes out. You're going to see exactly what I mean that a game just needs to give you more. It needs to be integrated with the theme more, and there needs to be more sense of humor and personality in a pinball game. I mean, Pirates of the Caribbean has so much personality in the movies and then you turn on the pinball machine, there's no sense of humor. It's just like there, there's no jokes. There's nothing that makes you laugh out loud. Well, come on. It, whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop. All right. Let me read some of your emails because you guys have been writing in more than usual. If you want to email me, please email me at canadapinball at gmail.com. But before I do this, before I do this, I do want to give a special shout out to everybody and there's 20 of you, right? There are around 1,500 to 2,000 people that listen to this show. But there are only 20 of you who show your support and donate to Patreon for Canada's Pinball. And I'll say this, I do love the 20 of you out there who understand the amount of time, energy, and research, and all the stuff I have to do to get this show out there for you guys on a weekly basis and it does mean a lot. I'll tell you this, if you think it doesn't mean a lot, you're wrong and and I know it's not a ton of money but even just a dollar a month or five dollars a month for all of this content you get and you enjoy, uh, it does mean a lot, it means a lot to Brenda. I use that money to go out and to just play pinball and I use it to go out and celebrate with Brenda because how nice is it every once in a while where I can just say to Brenda, the Pinball Podcast fans, you know, they gave us this dinner tonight as a thank you for all the shows we put up. And I, and, and again, so if you want to donate, go to Patreon. I've made it simple. It's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N uh, dot com, like backslash Canada Pinball. It's just look for it. It's right there. Any amount you can give, I would love and appreciate. So I'll just, I'll stop with that and go on to your emails. And Bubba might bark again. And if he does bark again, it means I might have to take him out. But let's read some of your, oh, see, hold on. I'm gonna have to take him out and I'll be back. Hold on guys. All right, so we're back. Let's read some emails. Now look, I read this entire email and I can't read the whole thing on air because it's a little long, but I wanna just paraphrase and thank this listener for writing in. So this is from, um, his name is Pei En Lee. He's from Taiwan and he has gotten into pinball in the last few years. He grew up in arcades with his dad. His favorite machine growing up was Jurassic Park, and he says that he you know, he would love to get one, and he was just worried about issues with older machines, so he ended up getting a Wizard of Oz Ruby Red Edition as his first pinball machine. And he experienced a game at a friend's house nearby, uh, in which he, the, the friend has the Hobbit dialed in, Pirates of the Caribbean. No, not Pirates of the Caribbean. I think he, he has everything but Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, but it's an interesting story because he's new to the hobby. Now, he does say, I want to read one of his paragraphs because I, I, I think this just goes to show this is not me being the only one who's saying this who's into pinball. So he writes this. Wizard of Oz has a good story to tell. You need to visit... Oz, Emerald City Multiballs, Spin the House, Let Winged Monkey uh, to capture Dorothy and rescue her. A Witch Fireball Frenzy. Then you can play the mini wizard mode to fight the witch and try to melt her. Oz has a good storyline. Same as the Hobbit. But for Jersey Jack Pinball, Pirates of the Caribbean, I played it about 20 times in the show. I like you. Um, I like that you can select from 22 characters, Rocking Ship, Maelstrom, Ramp, Interloop. But the theme integration is total BS. No storyteller. The five mini wizard modes are not exciting to me. Animation is bad compared to Waz and The Hobbit and Dialed In. I don't like plundering because I play with friends to play against the machine, not other people. Um, for Jersey Jack Pinball, I'm looking forward to Toy Story next. All right. So he also goes on to say, anyway, I love your podcast. I agree most of, with most of your opinion, maybe 80%. I voted you for best pinball podcast for the Twippies. Please keep doing the show. Uh, the attachment is of his child, Chloe, and his kids playing pinball. So he's got a Jurassic Park right next to a Wizard of Oz Ruby Red Edition. And I have to say, um, Pay and Lee, the, the, this lineup looks great. I'm glad that you have two pinball machines uh, that are, that have become your, your pinball collection. Uh, and thank you for writing in. I think what you're saying is, you know, from a new pinball buyer, Uh, It's what I've been feeling for a really long time is you do want a game that fits well into your house. You do want a game that your family, if you have one, is into. And theme does matter and storyline does matter. And I hear that time and time again from people. And even if it's a good pinball experience, if if the experience of having the game doesn't emotionally move you on some level because you're drawn into the theme, then I don't care like how many multi balls and wizard modes are going on in a game. If I just don't care about the purpose of the game, if I don't care about seeing how the game unfolds from a narrative standpoint, it's just not for me. Now, it might be for you, but it's just not for me. All right, let's see who else I got an email from. All right, Robert Campbell, bigger than Pirates of the Caribbean. He says, thank you for being real on your podcast. With the drum beats coming from the other podcasts, you really stand out. No sponsors, no holds barred, and on point. I am, I am new to podcasts, but old to the hobby. You by far are the most non-biased voice in the media. It seems everyone, podcasters, are more worried about what the manufacturers are going to think, react to the review, and commentary rather than just telling us how they feel. Franchi made a Facebook post about this today and made me think of you. Read it if you have time. Well, first of all, let me stop there, Robert, um, Robert Campbell, and say that I did read Christopher Franchi's second round of tips for pinball podcasters, and he gave five new tips. I'm not going to read them out on the show. Uh, But it's like, you know, I think Franchi really hit it out of the park with those tips. Uh, If you've read the tips, you'll understand the joke that just happened right there. Um, But look, I mean, look, everyone can do their pinball podcast the way they want to do it. I, for one, posted that he forgot tip number six, and that is don't promise your pinball podcast in June of 2018. And here we are in March of 2019 And Mr. Franchi's pinball podcast is not out yet. I did get a little bit of a sneak peek at it. Uh, He said that it's going to be very different and that for the first 30 minutes, people are going to have no clue really like what's going on, but it's going to be fun. So whatever that means, I look forward to it. All right. So then um, Robert went on to say, uh, point being, I would rather you keep it real than get scripted interviews with the guys all of the other podcasts are pandering to. If I want to hear a media pitch i can listen to others inside info and unfiltered i come to you uh, to the current topic pirates of the caribbean jersey jack pinball i played the original three ring version last summer and i was underwhelmed to say the least i actually like three of the five movies and look forward to the jjp interpretation i backed out of it after finding out about the assets being held back oddly enough Hearing your review, and then going to the streams, I have revisited the thought of purchasing one. I like the rules and layout, and now wish it would have been a non-licensed theme with a better art package. To me, it is not a location pin, just like Lord of the Rings is not a location pin. Sound odd? Lord of the Rings is a great pin, but man, when it's set up right, it's a 30-minute ride easily. Pirates of the Caribbean, JJP, is the same way set it up right and take it all in. It seems pinball is going full speed to the home play environment, long play times and deep rule sets. The last hard, fast game I can remember is Iron Man. That is a location pin. Fast, easy rules, that is an ass kicker. I would not be surprised to see a home setting that allows the player to have never ending ball saves. I've heard Deep Root has a pause place setting coming which is just one step closer to the vid pin crossover that has been tried before and failed. Big fan, small voice. Twippy should be yours if the mainstream media has not judged it unworthy. Well, Robert, thank you so much for the note. And I think you say a lot of really smart stuff. And I think you are hitting on something that is infiltrating this hobby right now. And we are at a period in pinball in which there is a wide variety of approaches to what a pinball experience should be. Now, what I do like about pinball is this. There is a variety. So you mentioned Iron Man as being a fast and furious game. I would also put into that mix, I would put in games like Total Nuclear Annihilation. I think that's another game completely uh, you know, focused on speed, quick ball times fast and, at, and frenzied action. I also think Star Wars fits into that realm as well. I think that game is, is a fast game. You're not gonna have half hour ball times on a Star Wars. I would also say The Beatles is another game in which you know, you're know you not gonna see people sit on it forever. Uh, do I like these super deep, super long pinball experiences? I have to be honest. I I do in the home use environment, I absolutely do. But I do think they are no fun when you're playing with other people that are good at pinball because it takes forever. They are more of a, of a solo experience. And I think your comparison to video games is very accurate. And I've said it before in the show. I think these long games, they're more like a role-playing game when you play a role-playing video game, right? It's sort of like playing Red Dead Redemption. You it's a journey. You you play it for hours. And you have to like know a lot of the nuances of the game to really enjoy it and unlock the features and you're you're, you're up for that kind of trip. And then there's games like Street Fighter 2 or Fortnite or Call of Duty where you could just jump in, have some fun and jump out and, and that is also satisfying. One is not better than the other, but when it comes to pinball, the one thing though that I would argue is a necessity in all of pinball is that the game is pretty, immediately fun within the first few minutes. And I have to say that I do find Pirates of the Caribbean a a little confusing to immediately have fun on the game. I I don't think it's one of these games where like in the first like five minutes, if you jump on it, you're going to see stuff happen unless you have this sort of in-depth knowledge of the game. And that to me is not pinball. And that is why I think someone like Lyman Sheets is a genius because I think he knows how to give people who just jump on a machine, like if you jump on Batman and you don't know what you're doing, chances are you will hit a shot twice and you will start, and it's super easy to to, to realize you pick up the, the bat phone. Like he, It's just like they knew, like, all right, well, over a three-ball period, there's a good chance someone's going to hit a shot twice and pick up the bat phone and start a mode and see the ball stuck on the magnet and feel a sense of accomplishment. I just don't think... Pirates of the Caribbean has that. and But I don't, I don't even think it's made for those people. It's the same way like a role-playing game like Final Fantasy isn't meant for casual gamers. It's meant for the hardcore. And that's Jersey Jack's biggest problem, is when you go hardcore, when you go hardcore on deep rule sets and you let a guy like Keith Johnson just go overboard and you make a hardcore game for the hardcore pinball enthusiast, you shrink your market potential significantly. The only way you increase sales in a marketplace like pinball is you, you broaden the potential buyer base of the game. And Pirates to the Caribbean, because it's a theme people don't like, because it's more of a complex rule set, it, it, it's just like this series of unfortunate events that have completely, I think, shrunk the amount of people who actually want one. And, and, and that's why Jersey Jack has failed – to be a very successful business, because that's where marketing comes in. And Stern does the complete opposite. They pick themes for the most part that broaden the appeal of pinball, that broaden the number of people that might consider buying the game. And they have a variety of themes. You know, everything from from new stuff to contemporary licenses like Guardians of the Galaxy, all the way to the Munsters. I mean, Guardians of the Galaxy and Munsters are worlds apart. But think about it, with each of those themes, you're bringing in millions of fans from those properties over the years, and you're just broadening the people who say, hey, I love that theme, and I'd be into that. And I think Jersey Jack goes the complete opposite route, and it shows, and it's why they've struggled to be successful, all right? Okay, let's see what else, if I got anything else from anyone. Uh, let's see, Puzzle Bending, I got Episode 321, Canada. Couldn't agree more this Stern program is stupid. These big companies do these cash grabs when they lack innovative ideas. This is like microtransactions in gaming. What's even more silly are the people who fall for it. Really guys? I wanted to also comment on how much I'm glad I stick to older pins. The issues with these modern pins are too plentiful to warrant 5 to 12K price tag couple that with complex coding that needs a degree in rocket surgery to play and what you have is expensive pain in the ass not to mention the lack of toys in these games makes it more like a big ass iPhone than a pin i see no reason to complicate pinball you you be able to go up wait you be able to go up play and have fun without needing someone to explain stuff to you in my opinion there's more fun to be had in the older games like T2, than these newer ones. I've played a bunch of these newer titles on site and honestly, doesn't feel like pinball to me. Keep up the good work, Sean K. Well, Sean, thank you for the note. And I I think you're hitting on something, Sean. I think what you're saying is what a lot of people feel is that somewhere along the line, pinball has become really complex. Things have become way too confusing for a lot of people to get into. And if we had to pick, for the most part, the first thing we all would start with is not like deep, 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 deep code and rule sets. I think the first thing we all would start with is a magical play field experience. I think we all would choose magical shots, magical toys. I mean, who wouldn't want to start there? Because you can always add code. You can always add depth. Games can, The game software can always be updated over time and improved upon and polished over time. But what can't change... Is what's on the playfield that becomes finite, and I don't see I don't see anywhere near the level of playfield magic today that we did years ago, and that is why I think pinball today. I just I'm not excited to run to buy all these new games. I I, I enjoy covering the hobby. I enjoy going over to my friends' houses to play these games. I enjoy playing them on location. But when I walk away after I've after I've played like almost every new Stern machine, I'm like, "Cool, it's fun, it's cool." And then and then you look at like the $7 to $9,000 price tag for a premium LE, and I'm I'm just like, "You got to be kidding me. There's like there's like nothing in me that feels compelled to want to go own a Deadpool or own an Iron Maiden or own a Beatles or own, you know, a Monsters. Like and I've played them all and I'm saying like these games are good. They're good games. The desire to own one and and have it and spend all that money, I, I it's just it's just not there for me. And even if I had the room, if I had the room, it would not just be modern Stern pinball games in my game room. It, that that's not what I would have. Okay, but I don't think they break that much either, though. That's the only thing. That's in Stern's defense, I do think most of these games hold up pretty damn well. And if you buy them, uh, you're not going to be like finicking with them as much as you would with older games. All right. Let's see, I got an email from, let's see, Mr. R, Zenbone. Hello, Canada. The Pirates of the Caribbean discussion over the past few months, it got me thinking more about the phrase greatest of all time than the machine in question. I played the Pirates of the Caribbean game at FPF and it was fine. I didn't love or hate the game. Never had it crossed my mind that it would be labeled greatest of all time. Greatest of all time? In my opinion... A problem with our modern age is we, as a society, suffer from very short-sighted viewpoints. Saying anything is greatest of all time really sounds arrogant and ignorant. Thinking back to the journey, Pinball has traveled from creation to criminalization to decriminalization to our modern machines with tons of code and rules to hang a label on any machine as greatest of all time makes no sense. Pretty much everything is completely subjective. So to argue one way or the other about any pinball machine is stupid in futility. Just my opinion, Martin. Well, Martin, I agree. I agree that it is not the greatest of all time. I agree that we will never be able to say anything in pinball is the greatest of all time. It is completely subjective. It's not like Michael Jordan versus LeBron James, where if you were to argue greatest of all time, you could... You know, you could have your subjective opinions about which player was better, but then you would have objective facts like data, who scored more points, who won more championships, who won more MVPs. You know, there's actual like statistics that you could look at. Now, then you would look at, well, the greatest of all time in pinball then is still quite clearly the Adams family, which outsold everything. And, and obviously, more people put quarters into the Adams family than any other pinball machine in history. So is that the greatest of all time? And and should we even be asking this question? All right, let's see. Doo, doo, doo. Steve Paradis say, Chris, I am one of those people who dropped $1,000 on a non-refundable deposit to Spooky, although my purchase was for TNA. I feel like they were way up front about the situation with delivery. I was actually told that I would get delivery in spring of 2019. The game was delivered in December of 2018. Uh, I expect Alice Cooper is on the line. They will be shipping quickly. Do I think it's fair and a good business practice for Spooky to take non-refundable deposits? Absolutely. I'm a small business owner. If my business was pinball, I would do the same. That is, this is my product. I'm proud of my product. I stand behind my product. A massive amount of work went into bringing you this product. I will make a commitment to you, but you need to do the same for me. I believed in Charlie. I think he deserves a massive amount of credit and respect for what he has accomplished. Just amazing. I was very comfortable giving him $1,000 of my money. I knew I would get the game as soon as they were able. I trusted that and I wanted the game. With Spooky, you are getting something special. There, there, there are not going to be any vault editions of Alice Cooper. There will only be 500 of them. Obviously, Spooky pinball games are getting significantly better as they become more experienced. I've been playing my TNA hard for almost four months. There have been no issues. One thing I will say, I would never buy a game without playing it first. But if they come out with another game that both my wife and I love, as much as we love TNA, I see myself giving them another $1,000. If you drop the $1,000, just make sure that either you really want the game or you have enough money that you really don't have a shit about the 1,000. Steve P. Well, Steve, thank you so much for writing in. Here's the thing. Uh, I'm glad you're enjoying TNA. Uh, TNA is Spooky's most successful game. Uh, I don't even consider TNA to really be a spooky game, to be honest. Uh, and it's by far their best game. I hope you enjoy If you get an Alice Cooper, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, I... I I just think that Charlie fumbled this one, though. And I don't think you can look at it just like a $1,000 deposit. I think he showed the game at TPF of 2018, and then people put deposits down, and people waited, and they waited, and they waited, and they waited. And, you know, I just have an issue with locking money in, but there's no—there's there, nothing on the manufacturer end of that contract that says if he doesn't live up to his deal within a certain time period, you can get your money back. See, that's the problem I have with the deal. Is he says we're aiming for 18 month delivery on all machines. Okay, but what if he misses that? And then you want your money back? There's nothing in the contract that says he will give you your money back or you can ever get your money back. And so I have a problem with that. And especially now, man. See with TNA it was different. People, people, the demand for TNA never waned. You never, like if you put your money down on TNA, no one was selling their TNA spots for $500 less than the spot was, right? The, and there were deposits for TNA. But look what's happening with Alice Cooper. You know, people are losing $500 and getting nothing. They're pretty much flushing $500 down the toilet and they're not getting anything. Now, here's the big problem. If nobody buys those people's games, then what happens, Right? They're, they're still ob obli- They just lose the money. Then Charlie gets has to go find another buyer for the game. Uh, I don't know. I my guess is this, and this is just my guess. I'm not sure they're gonna make all 500 Alice Cooper Nightmare Castles. I, I'm I'm just not convinced. 18 months to build them all. I don't think demand's gonna be there for the game after like 12 months. And I think that's fine. Charlie doesn't have to make 500. I mean that's what he took deposits on. But if people back out, he might come to a point where Hey, I'm going to deposit, I'm going to refund 50 people and we make 450 of them. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But uh, I, look, I, I just, I, the way I look at it is, I think, yes, from a manufacturing standpoint, Charlie should be applauded for making a pinball boutique company that didn't lose people's money and he got games out the door. But what I can't do on this podcast, I can't do, is I can't celebrate the games. I just don't think the games are any good other than TNA. And I'm sorry, it's just my opinion. And I think a lot of people share that opinion. And I just don't care to get pinball that is just mediocre. And I think if you're gonna go boutique and you're gonna make pinball, you better bring something better to the table. I just don't understand of having a boutique pinball company that is just not as good as a Stern Pro, but yet costs more money. I I, I don't understand the point. And so... I think Charlie needs to hire designers and I think Charlie needs to hire people, but we've heard from Ben Heck that for Charlie to up his game he needs to bring people on board but he doesn't want to do it because he doesn't want to raise the prices of the games to generate the revenue to give people the salaries you're going to need to get the right kind of talent to go to Benton Wisconsin to make pinball machines. So it's you're getting you're I mean they're they're making the best of what they have to work with but I just don't think it's at the same level or the same caliber of where other games are at, and I also think TNA is not a spooky game. It's like saying Iron Maiden is a Stern game. I think those two games, Iron Maiden and and TNA, have fooled people into thinking that like Stern is innovative with a new layout. No, they're not. They're not. That's Keith Elwin's design. And Spooky made a great game, and no, they didn't. Scott Denisi did. And it, there's there's a big difference there. There is a big difference because those games were built from individuals with the passion and the love and the DNA and the talent in which they brought to the game. And I'm not convinced that that talent uh, is replicatable uh, over at Spooky Gaming Game. Again, I think a lot of it is, let's just throw a bunch of art and let's throw a bunch of sculpts up on a game, but like remove all that stuff and tell me the layout in Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle is great, come on guys. Anyway, I gotta get to work. Love you guys, have a great weekend. Email me at canadapinball at gmail.com and come on. Got 2,000 people listening to this show and 20 Patreons. Come on, be a Patreon. I'll, I'm going to get you guys something special. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. i got to get the t-shirts going. They're going to be amazing. Anyway, guys, love you guys. Have a great day. We'll talk to you soon. Ain't nobody just like this. I got to be me. Maybe hit or miss. Look at you sitting there. Everybody, everybody say Be everybody else Can't you see